everyone. Welcome to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Lily, and I have with me Chase. What's up? And we are a paranormal horror podcast that likes telling each other true scary stories from around the world. Absolutely. And yeah, we have we have a lot of stuff to talk about, so I think Chase is going to clue us in. And just as a reminder, we are one week into our 31 days of horror movies. So we have a list, and the calendar has been posted on our Instagram and other social media accounts if you feel so inclined to join along. We have one movie per night. And it's through a range of horror genres, such as comedy, found footage, monsters, slashers, etc. So there's a little something for everyone, depending on your taste, or if you're like us, all of it. <laughs> and at the end of today's episode, we will discuss the first week of movies, because we're now, you know, one full week in. So stick around if that entices you. Be forewarned, we're going full on in spoilers this time. So we'll let you know, so you can switch episodes if you don't want anything ruined for you. Most of these movies are very old by this point. Yeah, so exactly. I'm pretty sure if you love horror, you've seen them or part of them or some of them. Yeah, get it together. But anyway, today we're drinking something <laughs> from San Diego that's totally relevant to our story. We are drinking Weekend Vibes IPA from Coronado Brewing in San Diego. So cheers. Let's open them up. This is my first time having alcoholic beer on the show in a while. I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> Damn, that's good. It's still good. I mean, like, obviously it's going to be good. I, I remember it, loving it. Brewery's been around a long time, and you can kind of see why. Stuff's good. Uh, but with that said, I hope you guys have a drink, be it coffee, tea, water, and you can join us because it's time to get into our story. For those of you that missed last week's episode, we went to San Diego in September on a road trip for a vacation. While there, we went to several haunted sites, including the Whaley House, which Lily covered in great detail on the previous episode. Well, this week we're continuing that haunted tourism exploit, so get ready to hear about the Hotel del Coronado. I'm so excited. I, I purposely learned very little to nothing when we were going. I It was very hard for me to like not do that because I want to be able to experience it when I'm there, like kind of have some Absolutely. sort of knowledge or whatever, but I don't know. I'm finally hearing about it, so I'm with you guys right now. I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> so, and to start this story off, we need a little appropriate history to contextualize the events. As many supernatural stories do, this one begins in the 1800s. It's really starting to feel like the 1800s was a hotbed of supernatural activity. Either that or the inevitable result of when long-held superstitious beliefs clashed with the burgeoning fields of science and faster communication. But either way, 1800s go boo, and we're continuing that trend today. For those of you unfamiliar with San Diego, there's a massive tide island to the southwest of downtown called Coronado. The only ways to get to it are via a single land-based road, a long and extremely tall bridge, or by ferry. It's a rather expensive and privileged feeling sort of place, and for those fellow Burqueños out there, the best way to describe it would be if our uptown was a hundred times bigger and decided to blend in with some SoCal aesthetics. It's not really our scene. I prefer something a little more bohemian, but it has a good brewery, <laughs> as we've just established on it, so, you know, it gets a pass. Yeah, it's all right. The city on Coronado was founded in the 1880s, and it was only a few years before the Hotel del Coronado was built. 1888, to be exact. I mean, the hotel's almost as old as the island. Upon its completion, it was the single largest resort hotel in the world, with 399 rooms. Holy shit, in the world? Yeah, we've been there. The fact that they say 399 rooms is actually impressive, because I'm like, 
It must have been small. They, I think they were. I guarantee you it's going to be one of those situations where they knocked down walls and eventually made them into like suites or something. I read something that says it has almost twice as many rooms now. Oh. So I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense yeah, now. Yeah. So <laughs> it is a big resort. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, 400-ish rooms. That's, yeah. That's amazing. So it was built in a wooden Victorian style, which makes it the second largest wooden structure in the United States today. <laughs> Sorry, uh, our headphones just fell off the wall and scared <laughs> me. So apparently the hauntings are continuing during this recording. Um, and the amazing beginnings aren't limited to its structure either. When it was constructed, they built a power plant for the hotel that was the largest plant, one of the largest plants in the state, and powered most of the island until the 1920s. And let me tell you, this building does look unique. I would argue that the outside is both beautiful and confusing. It features so many structural elements we see in other Victorian buildings, but mixed with wide open balconies and bright white paint that one would expect from modern beach resorts. It's just a weird looking building. Yeah. Cool. It's interesting. But it doesn't look like anything else I've ever seen. Right. The most iconic and recognizable feature is a large rotunda on the southwestern edge of the resort. It's kind of like the staple visual of the mm -hmm. hotel. People look at it. It's this huge round pointed spire, kind of like a castle, kind of like those round areas on Victorian houses. But this one is huge. Yeah. It's like what it's, I would say it's like their logo almost. Cause that's what yeah. they put on their shot glasses. That's what they do. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Over the course of its existence, it boasted an impressive number of high profile guests, such as Thomas Edison, Babe Ruth, Edward, Prince of Wales, King Kalakua, uh, Kalakaua, hopefully I didn't butcher that, of Hawaii, as well as many presidents such as Harrison, Taft, Wilson, FDR, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Clinton, etc. It also has an impressive list of Hollywood greats such as Charlie Chaplin, Clark Gable, Marilyn Monroe, Catherine Hepburn, Betty Davis, and even contemporary celebrities, not ones that are dead, like Keanu Reeves, Brad Pitt, Madonna, Barbara Streisand, and more. The reason I bring all this up is if you have any interest in staying there, it's really expensive me and lily did not stay there mm. we just snuck around without permission but we'll yeah, get to that later we, yeah we absolutely it's not like one day we couldn't save up for it and afford it i just don't think it's worth it <laughs> like it's so I expensive hard, yeah, i have a hard time spending that much money on it. yeah uh i i just don't think it's worth it but at the same time if you just have the means and you think this is the best hotel in the world absolutely it's a beautiful hotel yeah and just for context so you guys know what i mean Rooms are right around the 500 to 600 range starting, but they go up to the many thousands. And right. we're talking a night. That's just a lot of money. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. My favorite little fact about the hotel is that Stephen King was inspired while staying there to write his famous short 1408, which was then turned into the horror film. The hotel was designated a California historical landmark in 1970 and a national historic landmark in 1977. Now, enough with the history lesson, because we're all here for the hauntings. But I just felt you needed to know a little bit about this really important hotel. Compared to many other locations we've covered, the Hotel del Coronado doesn't have some sinister or seedy history. It was never a penitentiary, an <laughs> asylum, or a headquarters for a satanic cult, or any of that stuff that we keep finding in Are all of Are you telling me no one was hung there? Yes, someone was hung there. And we're oh, really? To, we're going to get to that. <laughs> Whoops, spoilers, I guess. No, this resort was built as a resort and has always been a resort. Oh, okay. They were even able to keep from being turned into a hospital during World War II, as most West Coast hotels were at the time. It would be safe to assume that the longer a building stands, the more chances it has 
that certain events or circumstances will inevitably result in a haunting. Often, it just needs a little bit of death. (laughs) But the Hotel del Coronado didn't have to wait long for its first notable death. Only four years after opening, actually. Oh, wow. In autumn of 1892, a young 24-year-old woman by the name of Kate Morgan was traveling by train to San Diego from L.A., where she worked as a domestic in the employ of a wealthy family. Kate's life up to this point had its fair share of hardships. She had lost both parents by the time she was 12 and was married by the age of 20. She lost her own child only two days after his birth. And four years later, she ran off with her stepmother's stepson, (laughs) which was a mouthful, let me just say. Yeah. His name was Albert Allen. I have to think about that. So the stepmother's stepson, because when you think about how in like the Victorian era when people were dying and getting remarried so regularly. All the time, yeah. There's absolutely no genetic relationship there. And it's so estranged and different that it's just. Yeah, so it was like whoever's stepmom, like other marriage sons. Yeah, so the assumption is she had to keep taking care of the son because maybe that guy's dad died. And then (laughs) she got married to someone else. It just, it's one of those things. But anyway. Stepmother, stepson, she fell in love with and ran off with him. Owing to massive gaps in public record, especially when talking about someone who had run away, not a lot is known about Kate after she ran off with Albert. That is until two years later when she arrived at the Hotel Del Coronado on Thanksgiving 1892. She arrived alone and checked into the hotel under the name Miss Lottie A. Bernard Detroit. (laughs) Subtle. Right? (laughs) According, I, I'm wondering if the Detroit at the end, because it's comma Detroit, is supposed to imply this is where I'm from. Oh, so I guess maybe. her name was Lottie A. Bernard. Sure. According to an article on allthatsinteresting.com, staff described her as, quote, ladylike, beautiful, reserved, and well-dressed, but troubled and very melancholy, end quote. For the next five days, Kate stayed in room 3327, although back then it was called room 302. Whenever she was seen, she was notably sad and appeared to always be looking for someone. She briefly traveled to San Diego when it was claimed she purchased a gun. On November 29th, Kate's body was found on an exterior stairwell on the southwestern side of the property near the beach. She had sustained a gunshot wound to the head and was believed to have been self-inflicted. So... By the same gun that was... We're going to get all to that. Oh, okay. I just want to talk about... She was found dead outside. Mm-hmm. She spent most of her time in the room, but she decided, I'm going to leave. And then that's when she dies. Okay. It's near the beach. So as far as I can tell, it might have been right where we were walking when we first got to the hotel. We walked oh, out to the beach. Oh, right. Might have been where it was. She was not found until the next morning. Fun. And it took a while before investigators could positively identify Kate. So they referred to her by the nickname, The Beautiful Stranger. <laughs> Either way, the investigation brought forth a new information. Reports suggest that other passengers on the train saw Kate Morgan traveling with a male companion. They had an argument, and the man left the train at one of the stops, deserting her for the rest of the trip. Oh, no wonder she was depressed. Ah. Also, one of the hotel staff who functioned as a housekeeper had notably more contact with Kate while she was at the hotel. During her visits to clean the room and start her baths, Kate told her that she had stomach cancer and was waiting for her brother, who was a doctor. Oh. And most troubling was that the coroner determined the bullet found in her head did not match the same caliber Ooh. of that weapon that was on her person's. Yeah, that was not a suicide. You don't just find another gun all of a sudden when you have a gun. And despite this, it was ruled a suicide. Yeah, they can go to hell. 
<laughs> so I want to think about this. Forensics back then were still in their infancy compared to what we're dealing with today. That would have been a big no-no for us. And I think it really brings up the question of why was she outside to commit suicide? Right. I understand that suicide's a very complicated thing. There's a lot of things going through people's minds. And you can't, you know, with my limited experience with studying this, I can't say what's going through minds. But as far as I can tell, most people who commit suicide don't tend to do it in public. It does happen though, but usually you it remember happens, when like, people every, say it happens. Yeah, every once in a while. I don't know. I I honestly can't even tell you if that's true. That statement, I don't actually know. But it is strange because she already stayed like in the in the bedroom, I guess, a lot. Like she wasn't going outside a whole lot mm-hmm. to begin with. So why she would feel inclined to do so afterwards, I'm not and sure. And why on a stairwell? Like if she liked the beach, you think she would have gone to the beach? Like she would have reached it or something. Yeah. So the stairwell seems a little bit weird. And, I mean, I can't find more about the body. Like, I don't know if she was shot in the back of the head and the guy's still like, it was totally suicide. She was just bendy. (laughs) Uh, I don't really know. But I think that this is super suspicious, which, you know, I think is worth thinking about. Maybe she did kill herself. Maybe this is one of those things where the bullet fit in the gun because it was a smaller caliber and somehow still worked. I don't know because that's Uh, not how bullets and guns are supposed to work. I was like, I don't even know how that would work. And I don't even know what kind of gun it was. So it's just, you know, something that or like what kind of bullet it was either. Yeah, I I have no idea. And there could be stuff with a cover up here. Uh, Who knows? But it does seem that Kate wasn't finished with her stay, Mm -hmm. whether or not she killed herself. Starting almost immediately after Kate's death, unexplained and unnerving things began to happen throughout the hotel. According to the book Beautiful Stranger, the Ghost of Kate Morgan in the Hotel del Coronado, occurrences are common and frequent. These include lights flickering, as well as turning on and off randomly, mostly at night. Other electronic devices, such as televisions, would also experience the same electrical disturbances. Doors would either open or close without explanation, and strange footsteps, sounds, and voices can be heard throughout the night. There are even reports of temperature fluctuations, breezes, and strange smells such as clove in otherwise closed-up rooms. Clove? Clove, yeah. That's just the only specific smell people mentioned. (laughs) Okay. As you can imagine, her original hotel room, 3327, seems to be the most active area. Guests can request to stay in this room, but the wait list is allegedly up to two years in advance. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... I bet it's one of the $1,000 ones, too. Oh, I guarantee it's expensive, and I know you and me, we didn't even think about it, but because we didn't stay there, but I didn't even think, oh, is it more expensive? How hard is it going to be to get in there? I just get a feeling. I mean, they might as well, if they're going to have a wait list that long, upcharging just makes sense, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I guess if people really care about it, they, they'd they be like, oh, it's sure, it's like $2,000, but mm. I can pay it off over two years. <laughs> I guess so. But these paranormal events allegedly occur throughout the hotel, so just avoiding that room doesn't seem to save you from haunted happenings. Reviews posted online regularly list strange occurrences. The most common ones I read were people having objects misplaced or moved throughout the night. I hate that. <laughs> right. And their lights randomly going on and off. Guests have also seen apparitions of a woman in period clothing walking the halls and along the seashore at all times of day. Oh, okay. So the assumption it's her. Yeah, I'd say the uh, daytime ghost sightings, those are going to be the most unnerving ones. At night, you're just like, oh, it's dark in here, something weird, or I'm tired. But in the middle of the day, you're on the beach, and you're like, huh. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, wow, you're pretty brazen. (laughs) The depictions usually match that of Kate Morgan, like you said. It's probably her. 
And according to FrightFind.com, some guests reported seeing Kate's face appearing on their TV screens. Even Wait, when it- what? A ghost appearing on their TV screen? That's what they're saying. FrightFind says people are reporting that. And they said it would appear on the screens even when it was unplugged. My big question is, why the hell would it be unplugged? <laughs> I was going like, to say. Who at a hotel room goes, let's unplug this TV. Oh, I think maybe like if they saw it, they're like, shut it down. And then <laughs> and it, it just w- stayed there. It happens anyway, yeah. Watch, it's just a reflection of them in the screen. Because <laughs> I'm assuming these are the old school TVs that, you know, like tube TVs. Were, right, with the reflection. Or, yeah. yeah. It's actually kind of disturbing how many of the reviews mention this activity. In fact, there are so many reports and occurrences that a historian of the hotel attempts to keep track of all of the incidents. Christine Donovan collects stories from guests about their haunted experiences. Although she admits many of the stories she hears are outlandish and obviously untrue, she does say quite a few do seem legitimate. She has claimed, quote, It is the decidedly non-dramatic aspects of most of the stories that has made a believer out of me. For instance, a doctor emailed me that during his stay, his shoes and socks, which he always carefully placed by his bed at night, would end up all over the room by the time he woke up. In my mind, that's not enough of a story to have made up. And in addition, it fits very well with the other paranormal accounts I've heard about objects being tossed about a room for no apparent reason, end quote. So I thought that was pretty good. Because, I mean, he's a doctor and he's like, why would I even mention this if it's like... He's like, oh, I got really drunk. Maybe I was drunk. He's like, no, I'm going to mention this. This was a little bit weird. I agree with her. Those kinds of stories, those small stories, those are the interesting ones. Not the crazy ones where, like, I was, like, lifted into the sky and then glowing (laughs) lights went through my body and I saw the beginning and ends of everything. None of that. Were there actual reports like that? Uh, She said there were crazy ones that she ignored, but she didn't detail what they were. I don't think she wanted to give attention to stupid stories. That makes sense. I wonder if there were, like, people who were self-claimed psychics or something too because i get i get the feeling that they might get a lot of that as well like oh i can feel her presence with me right now kind of stuff it's just like okay but i don't so i'm not gonna write this down exactly yeah i I completely agree uh i think i'd have a hard time if someone comes up to me says i'm a psychic and i'm experiencing things i'm like good for you i'll talk to someone (laughs) else now uh but another incident she mentioned was when a couple had the covers violently ripped off their bed while they were in it According to the site San Diego Ghosts, back in 2000, on Valentine's Day, a large number of couples staying at the hotel claimed that their bed sheets were ripped off during the night. Ooh, someone's jealous. Yeah, think about it. There's, like, love in the air. She was probably lonely. Kate Morgan, she's just like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Well, she was obviously left because she had that male companion who was like, goodbye. But then it could have been her brother who was the doctor, or maybe that guy's like, I'm sick of your cancer, and leaves, like, like a horrible guy, yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like she was wronged. I don't know who it was. Brother, lover, both, neither. Ew. Who knows? No, no, I meant, like, <laughs> different people. Brother oh, as a guy, okay. or it could have also been her lover, or it could have been both the brother yeah. and the lover at this, you know, two different incidents. I didn't mean her brother, the lover. <laughs> okay. Just to clarify, sounds good. Yeah, no, this is an incest-free ghost story as far as I know. My favorite. The site also mentioned an incident in which a gentleman entered his room and placed his luggage on the bed. He then went to use the restroom, and when he came back to the bed, he found that all of his bags had been opened and stuff had been thrown throughout the room. Most of us would have noped the fuck out at this moment. However, (laughs) he just simply went to the front desk and requested a different room. (laughs) Excuse me. Balls of steel. Uh... He's like... There seems to be something wrong with my room. I would like something a little less haunted, please. I think I would obviously, one, be very scared, but 
mad at myself that I didn't record anything at night. <laughs> but like, if you're spending that much money, would you just leave and be like, well, I already spent the money. I would require a different room, please. This oh, is that's not true. Cheap. It was probably yeah. just like, yeah, I spent a lot of money and I got to sleep here tonight. Maybe yeah. he was like done the next day. He's like, I'm going to go to a hotel that is less creepy. And less. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Paranormal investigators have flocked to this hotel in search of definitive evidence of the existence of ghosts. In 2010, David Moye of the Huffington Post interviewed the famed Ghost Adventures cast in room 3327, <laughs> Kate Morgan's room. Sure. This is what Moye had to say about the event. It might be Moy, but it looks like Moye. Quote, during the interview, a plastic water bottle suddenly flew out of the hand of the show's publicist, Diane McNamara, and landed two yards away at my feet. Although many publicists probably would love to throw water bottles at me, McNamara didn't intend to. In fact, <laughs> the experience freaked her out so much she left the room in tears. End quote. Oh, shit. Ah. Okay, I was going to say, like, what if she did do it on purpose? But, you know, crying. and She is the publicist, and it is Ghost Adventures, and I know it's a very popular show. I'm not a big fan of, uh, what's his name, Zach? Yeah, Zach. I always want to say Baggins, but it's not. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the show is definitely over the top where they're like, all right, publicists, we need you to do something to really push this show. <laughs> yeah. So although Kate Morgan is the most famous haunting at the Hotel Del Coronado, it is by no means the only one. Only 12 years after Kate's incident, there was another unfortunate death. Isadora Rush was a popular actress from Pennsylvania who performed vaudeville on Broadway. In 1904, at the age of 38, she drowned just off the hotel's beach property. Although most reports of apparitions resemble Kate Morgan, those that don't are often assumed to be that of Isidore Rush. Room 3502 is allegedly also haunted. According to the Travel Channel website, a woman named Alicia Babcock was the hotel owner's mistress. After discovering that she was pregnant, took her own life in this room. Jeez. Many say her spirit never left. I actually found a compelling editorial article written in 1993 about this room. Writer Danuta Soderman, a resident of Coronado Island, decided to stay in this room. Apparently in 1983, 10 years before the article was written, a Secret Service agent protecting then-Vice President George Bush Sr. was staying in the room. He requested a room change in the middle of the night because he heard loud stomping in the room above him. The only problem is, that room is the top floor. And there's no one above. Oh, so it's like the roof or it's whatever? It's the rooftop room. Okay. And the Office of Scientific Investigation and Research in Los Angeles investigated this room and found 37 abnormalities within a 24-hour period. An ABC film crew apparently captured a water glass smashing and an ashtray flipping over on their infrared cameras at 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. This is in the 90s. So That's awesome. Soderman was intent on getting the full ghost experience and had multiple people in the room to use a Ouija board. Sometime after 1 a.m., someone came to the door and knocked. A voice claimed, quote, we don't have you registered on our computer for room 3507, to which she replied, but this is room 3502. The voice apologized and left, which is kind of a weird thing to happen anytime. Yeah. Especially at 1 a.m. <gasps> well, I mean... If, if you found that there was someone in the room, do you go at like 1 a.m. or do you go early? Like, how do how would they get the key to the room? This is in the 90s, so it probably wasn't all electronic lock. Maybe it was, but there's... Wait, wait, wait. Did they go in the room? No, they knocked at the they door. They just knocked. Ca called through the door and said there shouldn't be someone in this room. But they're like, but you have the wrong room. 
So I mean, the numbers outside, they would have been able to see it right yeah. away. And I don't remember reception ever going up to people's room like that. They would just call. Exactly. Um, it's a weird thing. The whole thing about it sounds maybe if it was security fishy and, they, and mysterious. Yeah, but even then, you know, were people complaining about noises? Why was he at the wrong room? So when she said, you know, this is room three five zero two, the voice apologized and left, but never went in the room. They didn't see the person. Okay. Her and her guests asked many questions on the Ouija board. Many of them came back as fractured and unintelligible. I was reading some of them. I didn't quite know what was being said. However, when they asked, who are you? It spelled out ghost. <laughs> Which sounds exactly like teenage girls picking who yeah. has the crush on who on the Ouija board. It's like ghost. What ghost would say, I am ghost? Yeah, I, I'm going to do that. <laughs> it's me, ghost. <laughs> Another allegedly haunted room is 3519. The specifics of this haunting are harder to find, but according to the site amyscrypt.com, the maid that befriended Kate Morgan during her stay lived in this room. After Kate's hmm. disappearance, the maid also disappeared. <gasps> what? However, other sources claim that the maid hung herself in this room. Oh. And yeah, the hanging, like you okay, said. Okay, yeah, was yeah. And one other source even claimed that room 3519 was renumbered to 3502, meaning the room that the reporter stayed in and this room are the same room. Oh, so... I'm having a hard time finding out why and how they were renumbered. So as you'll notice, all the numbers now are four numbers long, but they don't yeah. have a thousand rooms. And we also found that Kate Morgan's room, which is on the third floor, was... Um, 3327, so 3,327, but it used to be a different number. And you'd think, oh, well, that has to be the third floor. And it is because it's in the 300s, but we found 300s listed on the second floor yeah, and the fourth were... floor. It's It was weird. The numbering is weird. I don't know how they're renumbering it, but that makes it very difficult. So it does sound like there's some confusion with haunted storytelling here. Are some things the same room? Are they actually different Rooms. Some people would say something like Kate Morgan's room would sometimes be listed as different rooms. And that just seems like someone who was repeating a story but didn't have the information right or sure. wrote it down wrong. With this one, I can't tell if 3519 is its own room or is the same room that the reporter stayed in. And it's just a really creepy room. Not sure. But I wonder. I, it sounds like they just changed the numbers. And so in the 90s, when that one. Par not paranormal investigators. Well, I guess they were. They were doing the Ouija board stuff, right? You said? Yeah. And they were mistaken by the room. Was their number... I guess their number had already been changed, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, the way she replied, I was doing quotes directly from the yeah. article. It seems like the current numbering was already established in 93. And so, but then if that was the old room, then whatever was confusing it... Maybe. Might have been a ghost of the past. Uh-huh. But see. the quote did say computer, so it can't have been that old. Because it said, we don't find a record of use in our computer. And I'm like, hmm, that obviously wasn't what something someone would say it's in the true, 20s. But so, still, I don't know. There's just a bunch of confusing stuff. But that, I think, adds to the intrigue <laughs> of a haunted place. And lastly, there's the hotel's gift shop, simply called Established 1888. The shop used to be the lobby piano bar before becoming a staple of materialistic tourism. I love me a gift shop. So I'm not complaining, but it definitely is not something that existed in 1888. Yeah. Books and objects have reportedly flown from the shelves at all hours. Sometimes employees would come in the morning to see everything disheveled. Oh, and sometimes no. it happened while they were working in the middle of the day. As a former retail employer, I, I can say 
you can go fuck yourself ghost that would that would ruin my day absolutely I was yeah, like, why I'm, are you making me work more? I'm pretty sure as crappy as working at Payless was, if shoes just started flying off the shelves, you'd be like, it's not worth it. You know, they might as well have because people are really gross. So <laughs> what are you saying? That it's like weird fungus in the shoes that is no. just alive and like trying to move around. People do the weirdest things. And I'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love how many drunk people were like, let's go to Payless. Yeah, it's, you'd it's, be shocked. The number should be zero, but apparently it's a lot, <laughs> lot higher than zero. Alcohol was the least <laughs> of my problems well, when people were drunk. But By the way, you, you have my permission to hit me with a baseball bat if I ever get drunk and say, let's go shoe shopping. <laughs> the only specific haunting I could find from the hotel gift shop was that apparently the Marilyn Monroe exhibits regularly get disheveled and damaged without explanation. Mm. Some people claim Kate is jealous, but of the gift shop of Marilyn Monroe. Oh, Marilyn Monroe! Because everyone's Monroe. all interested oh, in her. Sure, you know. sure. Now she didn't just stay there. We're going to talk a little briefly about her in just a second. But you and me went into this gift shop. Nothing creepy happened while we were there. But the scariest thing to us in that gift shop were the prices. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> Holy cow! Like I think that's the most expensive shot glass I've ever bought, and it was the most whatever simple mass-produced shot glass ever i mean i like it but it's nothing special yeah unlike many hotels the owners of the coronado seem to embrace its haunted history they hold tours and haunted events at various times throughout the year it's a huge hotel and it's often incredibly crowded when you and i went there we were there during the day i don't think i've been at a hotel with that many people moving about and doing stuff the lobby was just full it of people people packed. everywhere yeah. and they were all businessmen too and 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 we should talk about that uh one one site claimed that now they have 757 rooms i can't verify that i was even trying to find it on their normal website but the Hotel Dell's normal website actually listed the 300 number of when it was talking about the history of how it opened. Oh, I couldn't yeah. find them listing their normal site. Maybe I'm blind, but I couldn't find it. So let's talk about our experiences at the hotel. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, we took the ferry to the island. Yes. From that the was, downtown. That was my idea. I take full uh, credit slash blame <laughs> for that. I love ferry rides. Decision. I love being on the water. That part was awesome. We ran into transportation issues because Coronado is quite big and we didn't have all the time in the world. So we were trying to figure out the buses and everything just so we could get to the hotel. But when we got to the hotel, I couldn't believe it how packed it was. Mm -hmm. Maybe there was a huge event that day or maybe that's how it, it could have just is. been something that weekend. I don't know. But the first thing we did is we walked straight to the beach because I wanted to see what it looked like. And it had these quaint 1920s style like umbrellas and beach chairs and it looked great. And then I saw this sign next to a help desk that said oh man it was really expensive it was fifty dollars fifty dollars to per person to rent like the umbrellas and chairs so if you had two people that's a hundred dollars yeah i was like well that's not happening i guess maybe it was for the day but if you want to be there all day it might be worth it i don't know and then we decided to just walk around you know at this point i had done a little bit of research so i knew a little bit about the hotel lily didn't know anything so we weren't quite sure where we needed to go, what we needed to do. So we were just walking around. Outside, I'll admit, it's very beautiful. Mm -hmm. We went to the Rotunda, which was absolutely incredible, iconic. And then we went into the front door, into the lobby. And I hate to say this, because <laughs> you know me, I'm, I'm a big old skeptic. As soon as I walked in, I wanted to leave. I it's hated so being inside weird. that building. It was very awful feeling in there. 
And you can tell it's fancy. Everything in there is clean and fancy. I'm not saying it was dirty or gross or the sketch. No, not all. Everyone seemed nice and happy. I just instantly did not want to be there. Mm -hmm. So we did what most people do when they sneak into a place. We use the bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then we were trying to find out where we were supposed to go. And I could not shake this feeling that I wanted to leave. And, you know, the main lobby has all these old wooden beams on the roof and everything. And it's just got this very old vibe. It very much feels like a historic hotel. And you can tell it's all built out of wood because all of the hallways and everything they, they don't look like they're badly built, but they don't look like modern hotels with perfect concrete squaring and everything. The hotel looks like it's shifted a bit. Things have moved around. It looks a little bit more organic, a little bit more creaky, a little it, bit lived in. You can tell like it's been built on over time, yeah. but not in a hodgepodge kind of way. It, it makes sense still, and it doesn't look ugly. No. But you can tell it's old and yeah. it's been remodeled. And, well, you know. But anyone who's ever been in historic buildings and you go into the rooms, you can tell... There's something about the structure that there's some sort of like shifting, a very minor incongruity. So it doesn't look like perfectly set like modern houses do. There, It's almost like it's slightly slanted or slightly weird or slightly different. And that whole, whole hotel felt like that to me. I see. Okay. And so we went into the gift shop because we heard, learned that the gift shop was haunted. We went in there and we bought a shot glass. Uh, I did not feel anything particularly scary in the gift shop. Just the same sense of dread. And I was like, Lily, I want to leave. So we went out to the front and uh, we were sitting in the front figuring out the bus schedule. And I and I was just like, no, this is stupid. We're here for uh, haunted stuff. So I pull up on my phone to find out some haunted stuff. And I found out where Kate Morgan's room was. Yeah. And I was like, all right, Lily, one last time. We've got time for the bus. Let's run in there and let's go to Kate Morgan's room. So we run in and we pass the uh, sign saying, you know, registered guests only be on this point and everything. We're just running past it. We're like, hey, if we act like we belong here, no one's going to stop us. Yeah, we so did not look like we belonged there. But, you oh, I know. I was wearing my schlubby tourist clothes. <laughs> I had like a Venom t-shirt on and yeah. just shorts and flip-flops. Like, I totally didn't look like I belong there. No, but the funny thing is, is... I think there were so many people there and we just, we didn't like look around. I just bolted to the top or to the third floor and it didn't seem like anyone cared. Well, we didn't actually go straight to the third floor. We went on to the first floor or the second floor and all the numbers were in the thousands with the three hundreds. I'm like, Oh no. I said, I don't know how we're going to find this room. These rooms are badly labeled. And then we said, okay, we're going to go to the next floor. And, And it took us a while. We had to go around weird corners and turns in fact to get to one hallway we had to walk through this like external enclosed balcony section yeah which felt really weird it felt like this crappy creaky balcony just to get to another hallway where kate morgan's room was that's when you can tell it's an old structure like these plans don't make a whole lot of sense but it's happening anyway well and so we got to kate morgan's room and we took some pictures and i don't know if it was that i didn't want to get caught and kicked out of the hotel i mean we were going to leave anyway but I don't know what it was, but I was I took a picture and I was like, I'm ready to leave. And I just want to describe, I think it was really unsettling and a poor design choice, but all the walls in the hallways to the rooms are painted with the like red striped umbrellas they have out on the beach. But the way the paintings were done and colored, it's not nice looking. It, it's ugly. It's ugly, but it also looks very melancholy and very depressing. And I was hmm. like, this is not... It just didn't feel like a hotel I would want to spend money to stay in, even if it was cheap. If like oddly enough, it wasn't until we got to those hallways that I felt like the the hotel felt cheap at that point. Uh huh. I was I like, agree. wow, this is like 
gross, like yeah. tacky or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, when you were downstairs, a lot of the stuff seemed expensive. Yeah. Not necessarily expensive because it's worth it. It's just expensive because you know it's expensive. But after we saw the room and took pictures, I was like, can we get out of here? Can we get out of here? And then we left. And I, I'm not lying. This is one of the first times I've ever had one of these kinds of experiences. The minute we walked out of the hotel, I instantly just felt better. I, I, I wish I could, like, know what you meant. Um, I don't know. I, I truly felt, like, whatever either way. I mean, I liked it inside. I thought it was pretty. I didn't feel stifled or weird feeling, vibes, nothing like that. And then going outside, it was the same. So, for me, it was just going into an, any other building, I would say. To me, it's the same kind of vibe as if you've ever been at like a party and then just some people start like fighting and everything gets really tense and the whole room feels uncomfortable and people don't want to be there. Whoa. It felt like that, but also empty. Like you felt that, but no one was in the room. Like it had just happened. I don't know. It's the only time I've, I can really remember that I felt something like this. I wanted to leave and I felt better as soon as we left. And I'm so glad we didn't try to spend way too much money to stay there because I would have, I wouldn't have slept and I'd been miserable. I hated that. <laughs> I hated being in that hotel, which is so weird because I wanted to see it so bad because I loved the outside. Yeah. Um, I had no idea. I mean, the only thing that I knew about it up until that point was when we watched it on Baywatch. And I actually have that as my next section Do of the story. <laughs> so let me tell our listeners so they know. Uh, so they know we have bad taste in television. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Hotel Del Coronado has been featured in many movies, such as the famous Some Like It Hot with Marilyn Monroe. One of the reasons she would have been at the hotel is they were filming it there. Now, the movie wasn't set at the Hotel Coronado. It was set in Florida. So the hotel was just a place filler, but that's where it was filmed. But it wasn't just movies, as, as you just mentioned, Baywatch. Mm -hmm. It's also been in TV shows. Now, I don't know how many of you listeners have ever seen Baywatch. And if you're young, like a, a Zoomer, you may not have even heard of Baywatch. Maybe you have. But it was a big show when we were kids. I didn't watch it when we were kids. But it has popped up on Amazon. And we decided just to find out what that show that all the teenagers were watching <laughs> in the 90s was about. And we were gifted with a really cheesy but super 90s nostalgic show. Yeah. It's not a good show, but we get a lot of fun from watching the terrible episodes. Yeah, we 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 started it for the nostalgia, and we stayed because of the Hoff. We stayed because of Hasselhoff. Yeah. I now understand why he was a big deal in the 90s, <laughs> because th there's just something charming about that guy. Whether or not you think he's cute or ugly, he's just damn charming. Yeah, and I'm not saying he's going to win an Academy Award Never. of acting. In fact, they would probably have petitions to keep him from winning an award. <laughs> but damn, is that man charismatic. <laughs> Absolutely. So during the fourth season of this show, yes, we've made it over four <laughs> seasons in, there was a two-part episode in which the characters traveled down to San Diego to stay at the Hotel Del Coronado. One of the girls is haunted by the ghost of a dead businessman who mistakenly thinks that she is a woman he loved back in the 40s. This ghost, which occupies the room she is staying in, shows her what happened to him that led to his suicide all those years ago. I can assure you all that this episode is not at all good, <laughs> but they definitely capitalized on the hotel setting, and I'm pretty sure this was kind of supposed to be the Kate Morgan story. I bet. But they switched it around. I think they thought it would be better if the girl was alive and the ghost was a guy instead of a girl ghost, because then you see the girl on screen more often, and that's sure. just how Baywatch work. Look at ladies, blah, blah, blah. Yes. But anyway... That was my first experience, just like yours. I was like, wow, that hotel. I looked at it, I was like, that is a weird-looking hotel. And then we found out it actually is in San Diego, and it really is supposed to be haunted. And I was like, well, we have to go now, because if the Hoff's been there. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'd like to know if he felt anything weird in there. Yeah, I like traveling with the Hoff. When we went to Munich for Oktoberfest in 2019, right when we got off the uh, train, the train yeah. in in Munich, there was this giant poster for David Hasselhoff who had just had been doing a tour and done all these things. We'd missed it by a couple of days, and we were really sad about that. But yeah. it was amazing that the cliche <laughs> that he's big in Germany proved to be true as the first thing we saw when I, we got in Germany. I still have a picture of that. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like, the first thing I see when we get to Germany is Hasselhoff. Like, I don't even understand what's happening anymore. <laughs> so now, something Lily started that I'm going to continue. One of my favorite parts is... The trip advisor review. Oh, yeah. I was wondering if you were going to do that. So I got a few interesting stories from previous tourists and their haunted experiences on TripAdvisor. Most of the reviews didn't get me anything. So it took me a while sifting through them to find some interesting ones. So here <laughs> we go. This one is from Suzon W. I have made multiple trips to the Dell. The date above is not accurate, but it didn't let me go back any further. I stayed there my first time back in the early 1980s. Had zero knowledge of the hotel called my father the first night, a doctor, a scientific, logical man, because I was in my room alone, very frightened. Strange things happening, only to be told by him that, quote, I just saw a special on that Hotel Dell. The place is haunted, end quote. Not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> Checked out early, went back a few years later, thinking my imagination had gotten the best of me. Nope. Woke up to a chair that had been across the room right beside my bed. Damn. <gasps> Cannot explain the fear. So 20 plus years later, I went back last year for a medical conference, told him I would never stay in the old hotel again as long as I live, and got an oceanfront room in the new wing. Oh, okay. No issues. Beautiful place. But if you're sensitive, do not stay in the old wing. So that's what she had to say about it. That's good advice. So I love how she had to say, like, my dad, a doctor, scientific, he's like, that place is haunted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, she's like, okay, I need level-headedness. He's like, anyway, you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> but I like how she's gone back three times. Sometimes she's like, still haunted. All right. Now, this one is from a really weird username, uh, Kelly KellyPB1513ZI. <laughs> or maybe that's an L. This is a very nice place, but not worth the steep price. Went on a business trip and was happy that the company spent the money and not me. Air conditioner was loud. Lights in room turned on randomly all night, waking me up. And <laughs> one of the two elevators in my building didn't work half the time. Lights and elevator explained away as haunted, but was in Ocean Tower, one of the newer areas of the hotel, and not really buying it. Gorgeous view and grounds, but not worth horrible sleeping conditions. Man. Okay, it sounds like they're skeptical of what was going on. They're like, I think they're shooing this these electrical issues as haunted when they should be fixing it. Yeah, no, I think it's a perfect excuse. Like, oh, we got issues. Just say it's haunted, and then people will be like, ooh. <laughs> I also want to mention that all of these reviews are written very poorly, so I'm trying to read them verbatim. So if it sounds like I don't know how to speak English, it's their fault, not mine. <laughs> sure, taste. So this one, the following ones I'm doing on TripAdvisor, I didn't read the whole reviews because they were really long. I only read the sections about the haunting. So this one is from Kate Y. I was near but not in the haunted room on the third floor. My bathroom lights would turn on and off all night, every night. So it would seem that I either had a ghostly visitor or a defective motion sensor. In favor of the ghost, the light never turned on during the day. What? Yeah. <laughs> now from Ron's My Sharona... <laughs> This is not a four-star hotel with their hard beds, scratchy towels and sheets, narrowly crowded room, and a TV that doesn't work, and then at 2 a.m. decides to work. Oh, And no. telling me that it's a ghost is not a solution. 
So this is a guy who 100% does not believe in the haunting, oh but what he goodness. just listed is what most people go, this shit's haunted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This one's from Gary Young. Had to ask staff for extra towels each day as they only leave two hand towels and two washcloths. We did have a friendly ghost visit our room a couple of nights, moving jewelry or remotes, footsteps, that kind of thing. On the third floor, that's not unusual, we were told. It was kind of cool. Aw. <laughs> so he seemed to be having a fun time with that. Yeah, exactly. Finally. And so that brings to a conclusion the story of the Hotel Del Coronado, which has been haunted by multiple deaths for, what, 140 years. Hooray. Well, I'm really glad that I finally got to listen to these stories. Like, I, I never felt anything in that hotel, but I can see why it would be haunted. But I did feel something. Conjured in my brain or otherwise, and I never want to go to that hotel again. <laughs> Duly noted. Don't I won't make it. you go back ever again. Yeah, so uh, Chase's verdict, very possibly haunted. Didn't see any ghosts, but felt like I was about to. Yeah. And Lily's like, eh. <laughs> it was all right. Yeah, exactly. Not worth the money, but definitely um, I think it's worth the trip if you ever Get it. If you ever land on that island, go. And make sure to check out our Instagram because uh, our Instagram posting for this episode will include multiple pictures that we took of the hotel and of the room just so you can see what it looks like yourself. It's pretty interesting. Maybe you'll love it because some people on the reviews seem to love it. But anyway, that's the Hotel Del Coronado. And glad you guys listened to it. We're going to take a break because when we come back, we're going to talk about the first week of movies for our 31 Days of Horror. So catch you in a few. And if you don't want spoilers, now's the time to go to the next episode. Bye. Or no, no bye. See you in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're back, and I still have my beer. <laughs> I have Me not too. finished we, it. We didn't refresh them. I couldn't drink much while talking because it leads to burping, and Lily's kept looking at me every time I burp, going, <laughs> I have to edit that out now, you bastard. Oh, my God. So many little edits. So many. Yeah, I forgot. That doesn't happen to me when I don't drink beer. And so all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm like, where are all these burps coming from? All right, so it's time for us to discuss the first week of movies. Uh, that we covered in our 31 Days of Horror. Just as a reminder, check out our Instagram for the calendar or any of our social media accounts. The movies that we watched include Day Shift, Hell House LLC, The Final Girls, Hellraiser, both the original, which I think was in the 80s, and the brand new one that was just released on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Bit, which was on a Prime. Then we watched Terrifier, the original one. One Cut of the Dead, and then, even though that's what we said we were going to cover, we're also going to cover The Descent because this uh, episode is going to come out on a Monday. Oh, so right. we'll just go ahead and also cover The, the, the Descent because if you're listening and following along, you would have watched already anyway. <laughs> so those are the movies. And we also watched some extras. We're gonna, we'll talk about those at the end. So take us on, Lily. So Day Shift, the first one. Awesome. I think we talked about it quite a bit last time, especially since we didn't know a lot about it. Brand new movie, Netflix exclusive, right? That one is a Netflix exclusive. Um, it came out... I think like the first day of October or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember you talking about it when we were done watching. You're like, it was, it was good. Obviously it was funny, you know, blah, blah, blah. But one thing you notice, you're like, yeah. And the, it just seems like there was a lot of choreographed stunts going on. Like it was over the top fight. Like scenes. it was very over the top, but it was really well done. It wasn't like fake. You can tell these people worked on their on their stunts yeah, and stuff talented like that people. there were a lot of stunt doubles clearly and things like that so when i looked up the director it does seem like one this is his first movie ever directed and before that he was a stunt 
coordinator stunt coordinator it's so an actor yeah we even (laughs) talked about that during the movie i was like i wonder if this guy used to work like a stunt unit because yeah it this movie does feel like a showpiece for stunts and the stunts are well done i do think they were over the top for what the movie was Mm -hmm. which is a vampire movie we don't do a lot of vampire movies i'm not Not usually yeah i'm not this first week had two different vampire movies I'm not super into vampires as a as a monster. I totally get why they're popular. I'm like, I have nothing against them. They're just, I guess they just don't speak to me personally. But this was a really good vampire mm-hmm. movie. I laughed a lot. Uh, why well, can't I remember his name? Dave Franco? Yeah, Dave Franco. I he think. kind of played the comedic relief, and I think he did a great job. It was necessary, yeah. yeah. And it stars... Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx, who, he's always awesome. Like, he's never put in a, he's never phoned in a performance. He always does well. And it's got Snoop in it. <laughs> and I love Snoop. I, every time he's in a movie, even if it's like a bit part, like in Half-Baked, I just, just makes me happy. Yeah. And he was great in this movie. So. He really was. And I, I wasn't sure how much of his presence was going to be in the movie. Because I know sometimes they like, they're like, this actor's in it, but he's like in one scene. Oh, yeah. Or something. He was uh, a pretty important character for, for the whole thing. Right. And I think it's in his contract that he has to smoke a joint at some point during <laughs> it. And he does in this movie, which is great. I don't know if it's actually in his contract, but it should it be. Because sure he does like it, it every single time. And seeing him wearing like cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, for some reason... It worked. <laughs> yeah, it was like, have you been doing this this whole time? Because it just feels, it feels right. Yeah. So the movie is Jamie Foxx is kind of a vampire hunter. He used to work for a union that did it, but he got kicked out because he's, you know, off the walls and crazy. <laughs> but he has to get back in the union because he needs to make money to be able to pay for his daughter's private school. I think the way they presented uh, vampires, I kept wanting to say zombies, vampires was pretty interesting. It was it was an exciting way to see vampires instead of them feeling yeah. very cheesy and romantic. This felt, they ha- went to hives where all the vampires were like living in the walls and doing stuff. And that was a really nice touch that to make unique. them feel like a monster again instead of just like romantic humans who live forever. Right. You know, so I kind of like, they felt gross and they felt like a villain in this movie. Yeah, it felt like a true monster. Like they have different behaviors mm-hmm. and they, I guess maybe at one point were human, but that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Like they're totally different. It did have some blade qualities, but the whole underground movement and, and power. It of, felt of, like a Kroger blade. Right. Yeah. A little bit. And I think this was a really good movie. I do think Netflix has made a lot of missteps with some of their movies. There's this kind of Netflix quality. I can't put my finger on that movies they produce have this thing where they never hit all the way. It kind of feels like it's an amusing idea, but it needed to go through some more revisions and rewrites. This one still has that, but not to the extent as most of the other Netflix movies. Like, I believe seen. this came out in theaters. I yeah. would, too. It still has a slight Netflix quality, but I think this is a step in the right direction. Talented people doing some good stuff. Could have been better, but it was way better than I was expecting from a Netflix-exclusive vampire film. <laughs> yeah, especially, like, yeah, when, when it's something new and I put it on the list, I'm really just, it's a gamble. You never know. So I'm really glad this one worked out. So now on to one of Lily's favorite movies. <laughs> I love this movie. Is Hell House LLC, which does seem to be divisive. People, a lot of people love this movie and some people aren't into it. I think I'm somewhere in between. I like it. I don't love it. You yeah. love it. I do love it. I'm going to watch it every year. I don't know if it'll be on the list every year, but I will certainly be watching it every year. It is directed by Stephen Con- Cognetti, I think is his last name. He hasn't really directed or written a lot of things. He's only really done the sequels. So I think there's two sequels to the original. So there's three movies in total of Hell House. Yeah, there are three. And I've heard 
they're good. I have not seen them yet. Okay. I'm a little nervous because you know how it is. Like when you love a movie so much, you're like, do I want to watch the sequels? Horror sequels sequels don't have the best track record. Not, not usually. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So when I talk to like season movie horror watchers, just like me and you, Mm -hmm. they tend to love this movie as Mm -hmm. well. It is kind of a slow start. And when I say slow start, it's not like the whole movie and the end is good. Yeah. It's only like the first third of it where it's establishing things. It's trying to do some character development, but I don't think it does it as well. That's not a strong point, obviously. But then I'd say two thirds of the movie, it's why you watch it. It's why you want to watch it again and again. It's amazing. I I would say from the halfway point to the end, I usually really enjoy the film. It's got some really scary moments, particularly uh, there's that clown uh, mannequin, the clown mannequin that keeps popping up everywhere. Right. Looks very realistic. Like there's a guy in it. You're waiting for it to move at any moment, but they they don't they don't go for the cheap scares. They kind of hold it. It is a mannequin most of the time. Right. Every now and then something happens and it moves, or it's moved off camera, but you can tell it had moved. And those those really were really impressive scares that got me really uncomfortable. I'd say my heart, the hardest part I had of this movie is the first half has too much of the interpersonal group drama. Too much right. infighting and setting up. And I'm usually, by the time I get to the halfway point, I'm I'm kind of turned off by the film. And so I feel like that's usually why I dread it is because I know it takes a while to get to where I really enjoy it. The, uh, the final scene where everything goes, not the final scene, I guess it's about two-thirds in, but when you find out what actually happened at the house right. and you can see the camera footage of the demonic stuff and everything, brilliant. It's really well done. It's actually scary. Uh, it reminded me of... I've actually seen the footage of there was a there was a fire in a band venue that actually happened in like the 90s, I right, believe. Right, yeah. And I've seen that video and it's absolutely horrifying. But the way you saw people panicking when things started going bad inside this haunted house really reminded me of that, made me very uncomfortable, did a really good job. It did a good job of like what it would be like if something started happening in a different room and you wouldn't mm-hmm. know what to do. People are trying to get out, people are trying to get in, people don't know what to do. I mean, it is really chaotic and it's, it, it's done well, I thought. And I also think the scene where the guy is like sleeping and he wakes up and there's a girl sitting in his room. That was one of the scariest scenes. I was so worried the payoff was going to be terrible, but they did it really well mm-hmm. from beginning to end. That whole scene was done. Which is insane because it's not like a a unique concept. You know, it's not like, oh, I've never seen this done before. It was just done perfectly. And the movie has a really good ending moment. I don't think I'd call it a twist. It's kind of a twist. But when they find the girl they've been interviewing, I thought that was incredibly that was incredibly well done. I, I, I liked so that too. moment. I will admit the tall, towering, cloaked, cultist like demons that appear, that part was cheesy. I could have done with something different. Oh, Maybe something I liked you it. don't see. I know you liked it. I think that's where the difference comes is sometimes this movie does things that you either really like it or you right. really don't what it does. And so But it's good. I do recommend everyone watch it and I do tell everyone if you feel like it's a little slow at the beginning, I agree. It will pay off and you'll have a really good ending. No and then it's what. like, I think it's even worth, I mean, not worth, obviously it's worth it, but I mean, it. it's exciting watching it the second time around because then the first half that you thought was slow, there are some it, Easter eggs that absolutely. you start noticing. So it becomes more interesting in a weird way. You get way. a lot more information. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. It, it was better the second time because I knew what to expect and I knew there was something at the end. So yeah. I liked it on more on subsequent viewings. Right. Right. And I also have a fun fact about that. So before filming, the filmmakers were searching for the abandoned house. You know, they're trying to find a location to yeah. film this and they didn't find what they were looking for. So instead they started looking into real haunted house attractions. So the house they filmed the movie in is a real 
haunted house place. Oh, really? Yeah, like you can actually go there right now on the weekends and have a haunted house experience. Where is it, like Pennsylvania or something? It's in Pennsylvania. It it's... looks like Pennsylvania. <laughs> it does. I might it just does. be saying that, because, but I've been through Pennsylvania. When I looked around, I was like, it looks a lot like Pennsylvania. Right, yeah. And I think I said that, too. I was like, why does this look like Gettysburg or something like that? <laughs> um, yeah, so it it's called the Waldorf Hotel. I don't know the story behind it But it's or not a current hotel. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's just it's, a haunted house. Yeah, it's a venue now. And it looks amazing. I never knew I wanted to go to Pennsylvania so much until now. And it, Wait, you don't want to go to Scranton? I don't. <laughs> Ain't nothing like a Scranton party because a Scranton party don't stop. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> um, so it it's a normal haunted house. It has that whole area. But it also has a apocalypse escape room and an escape hell house. Oh, really? So it's a literally, it's based off the movie. It's an escape room, and it's just, I, I don't know. I, okay, I, that sounds amazing. My mind. Where, where in Pennsylvania? Do you have it, or just that it's in Pennsylvania? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So it's in Lehighton? Oh. Leighton? I don't know. I was how to hoping it was going to be like one of the only four places I know of in Pennsylvania. It's not. Yeah. But <laughs> Pennsylvania is not that big. I We could get to all these places easily. Yeah, and it also has a option for paranormal investigations, so you can do like a two-hour session. Where they provide you with the equipment, you know, all that good stuff. Eh, I want to see a haunted house. I want to see the haunted house, <laughs> and I'm doing the escape hell house. Hell, that sounds amazing. Yeah. That, so, that Totally awesome. Fun fact. <laughs> so cool. All right. And the next movie, we actually had the pleasure of watching with multiple people who hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, it was finally, it was really, really cool. I had no idea that one of our friends had never seen it. And two of then, them hadn't. Yeah, two. Oh, yeah, that's right. Two of them people. That's right. And... It was kind of cool, like seeing their reactions, laughing at the same parts. I always found funny things like that. It's a great movie. I well, think... we're talking about the Final Girls, by the way, which we oh yeah yeah yet. did we not say? <laughs> and I can easily say it's still st- every time I watch it, it still holds up. It is still as funny. It is still as charming. This movie has not ever gotten old to us, and it is one of the funniest uh, horror films I've ever seen. And it's life. aging really well, so it's not like it doesn't feel dated at no. any point. No, they didn't use a lot of topical humor. So the whole point behind this movie is there's a girl whose mother was a uh, movie actress who was in a slasher film. Her mother died in an untimely way at the beginning of the film. And she gets coaxed into going to a showing of this, the daughter yeah, yeah, of this classic slasher film. She didn't want to go, but she kind of gets bribed into doing it. And during the movie screening, the theater catches on fire and her and her friends escape by cutting through the movie screen to get through an exit in the back and somehow get teleported into the movie. Yeah, so they cut into the movie and they go into the movie. And it it's great because while they're stuck in the movie, they notice things keep repeating in the entire movie length. Like every 92 minutes, everything repeats. And all the characters interact with them but don't know who they are and... It's just weird because it plays with a lot of the tropes of the slasher genre, but also just tropes with movies in general. There's a scene when things go into slow motion. And, and they're the, actually in slow motion. And they're aware that it's slow motion, <laughs> asking what's happening in slow motion. Uh, that said, it it's not criticizing the slasher genre. It's a love letter, if anything. It really is. And it is just brilliantly done. It's so funny. Uh, I'm trying to think how many actors in there are really familiar. There's a... Uh, What's his name? Adam Levine? Adam Levine? The guy from Workaholics? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's, if you like him, you'll love him in this. If you hate him, you might still like him in this because he's, he's pretty good in this. As someone who didn't actually watch Workaholics, I loved him. I thought he was amazing in the role. Yeah. And and the main girl, I forget her name off the top of my head. Her last name is Farmiga. 
she is the sister of the of Lorraine, Vera Farmiga, who plays Lorraine, Lorraine Warren, Warren in, in yeah. the Conjuring movies. And she's great now. I think she's an awesome leading lady. Really good deaths that are funny to watch. Mm-hmm. And it has the best twist ending ever, which I know we could spoil it here, but I think if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. And it's just got the It's true thing. to the name. We'll say that. It's true to the name. <laughs> so that one was really good. And then... But it, I have a fun fact for that. Perfect. Okay, so one of the screenplay writers... Uh, Joshua John Miller, his dad was uh, Jason Miller, who was the actor who played Father uh, Karras in The Exorcist. Oh. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. There's a lot of like famous Little there. Yeah, it sounds like. And the director, I didn't really get a whole lot. It sounds like he, he does a lot of comedy stuff. He did a very Harold and Kumar Christmas. So <laughs> that, that's the only movie I recognize from his list. I just haven't seen a lot of his work. And I hate to say that wasn't that good of a movie. Oh, it was, really? It was fine, but it wasn't great. The first two Harold and Kumars, I love. I did watch the first two I liked. I never saw the Christmas one. It's fine, but it totally feels like when they say special at the end, you know it's just to get into the spirit. It's not like, it doesn't feel like a full effort movie. It's not a cohesive plot. It's just really. Well, it's cohesive. It's okay. just <laughs> It's just really rudimentary. But anyway, so the next movie, or should we say movies, is we watched original Hellraiser and reboot Hellraiser. The new one, yes. And so Hellraiser's weird. I, re- <laughs> I I grew up with seeing all the Hellraiser ads on TV and in like in comic books. Like they'd always have oh, the ads. Yeah. And I always thought Pinhead was creepy looking and I thought some of the imagery was creepy looking, but I hadn't seen it. You and me saw that together for the first time when we were adults. We were in yeah, our 20s, I we think, were... or early 30s. No, we were in our like mid-20s. Okay. Yeah. And the thing I have to say about it is I don't know if it's a scary movie, the original one, but it has some pretty powerful imagery. You know, Pinhead, you know, the main villain and some of the other villains, they look very, there's a very specific look that you don't really see in a lot of other things, but it is creepy, kind of torture, body horror, leather. There's a very specific lighting style. It's it's a very visually important movie. Like, I think where Hellraiser falls apart is I don't really think the plot's very interesting. Yeah, that's kind of my only problem. It's very, there. there's like a really cool plot point, but... The, the, the cube? Uh, the cube, but also I kind of thought it was cool that she had to bring people to the house so that they could kill. Yeah, that was a pretty cool like scenes to watch, but that's not like a plot story to carry. Yeah. You know what I mean? The whole movie. I agree. I thought the cube was an interesting plot prop, like yeah. the idea that a cube, a puzzle cube, could open up uh, to, to portals, to, and- to portals, and everything. I thought that was pretty interesting, but I kind of found the idea that these were demonic characters that. You couldn't tell if they were lying and they think pleasure and pain are the same thing or if they're just trying to trick you. You never know. I think most of the actors in the movie uh, that play the humans, <laughs> uh, they're pretty poor. I, I, oh, I, really? Yeah. I think it's very forgettable. And so I was excited to see the new one. And I have to say that I think pretty much the same thing of it, however, for different reasons. I think the human characters in the new one are more interesting and they've got deeper characters and their plot is actually pretty interesting. But now the demons, the, the, what do they the call character them? Designs, the Cinnabons, the, the c- Cinnabites, Cinnab- <laughs> the Cinnabons. Um, yeah. Yep. That's yeah, they're, it. They're the bite-sized Cinnabons, the Cinnabites. Uh, I don't think they're as interesting looking in this next one. They're not as creepy. They're not as scary looking. I don't think they're scary looking at all. And so I feel like each movie did the opposite thing well and failed on the opposite thing. So I like them about the same, but for different reasons. Yeah. The character design and the, in the second movie or like the reboot, whatever you want to call it is I just, I was really genuinely mad about it. It's very cosplay. It was, I don't even know if that's what was upsetting 
I felt like they were kind of making them beautiful, uh-huh. beautiful, ugly, if that makes sense. Yeah. And whereas in the original, it was supposed to be horrifying, like it, but so, so memorable and so unique. And I, I just, I remember the impact I had when I first saw them yeah. and they had such an opportunity, especially with our, our technology now to make them so much better. Maybe, I, I don't know, or, or. Maybe that was the fault. Maybe so, there were so many options. I, I completely agree with you. I think my theory is in the original movie, the characters were very creepy, nothing sexual about them. However, the guy who was, you know, being formed and needed the sacrifices to rebuild his body, he was approaching the main girl in a very sexual way, but it was mm-hmm. gross because he was still like a fleshy, growing monster creature Drippy. thing. Yeah. And that was there. And I think the whoever made this new movie, I, I don't have names on the top of my head, they really embrace the sexuality of it. And so all the Cenobites in the new one are very sexual monsters. Like they're supposed to be sensual. They're very feminine. They're, they look naked, but their skin's tore up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where they were trying to get the sexuality. Whereas I don't think the monsters were supposed to be portrayed as such. So I just think it has uh, to do with different I guess I can kind of see that perspective. I still thought it was done poorly. Like oh, if I it agree. was going to be that, it could have just been more torturous, but it, it never felt like torture. Does that make sense? Uh, I agree. Whereas in the first one, I felt it my didn't skin look ripping. Painful. Yeah, it didn't feel painful in the new one. Yeah. Uh, so I would say when it comes to Hellraisers, if you have Hulu and you just love horror, go ahead and watch the new one. Well, and most reviews online claim that the original and this remake are the two best Hellraisers out there. So if you watch one or both of these and you don't like them, you probably don't need to see the other ones either. That's kind of where I'm at. But anyway, we should go on to the other movies because there's a lot There's a lot of good ones coming up. So next movie was? It was Bit. So tell that, us about Bit. So that is another. That's the other vampire movie mm-hmm. that we actually watched last week, and um, yeah, that was another gamble. I had no idea what to expect. I thought the trailer looked fun, and I thought personally that it was a decent movie. I actually liked it. Um, so it's basically a movie about a girl that graduates college and moves to LA where she meets and joins a group of vampires. It, that's like the most easy way of putting it, I guess. Yeah. So she's on a trip. That she, you know, and her parents are looking after her. She's staying with her brother. And then he takes her out on a night with her fake ID. And then she meets a girl that night who we know is a vampire. Mm-hmm. And somehow she gets coaxed into becoming a vampire, which all of them are women. They're only women vampires. And they have this very specific rule that you cannot turn a man into a vampire. Yeah, there's like a few rules. One, you can't uh, use... I forgot what they call it, but like you can't you can't mesmerize another vampire. Oh yeah, I think they called it like a glimmer or you something. Can't, yeah, or you glitter can't you can't glam glam. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It, I think it's the idea that you know sometimes vampires can kind of control your brain a little bit, and they said you're not allowed to do that to other vampires. Right, and you can't turn a man into a vampire. And well, I forgot the third one, but either way, um, you kill what you eat. That's right. Yeah, so you're not supposed to be turning other vampires. You're not supposed to be making new vampires, but especially not men. And if you do, everyone has to agree. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And this group of girls is led by someone who has a huge chip on her shoulder, who you find out later in the movie was turned into a vampire by a guy who was glamoring or glistening all of them. Glistening. <laughs> and he was living a very hedonistic lifestyle where he was pretty much just partying all the time, getting drunk, sleeping with them. It was very controlled, very creepy, kind of like the purple man in the Jessica Jones Marvel show where when you have control oh, over right. someone. It's, it, it doesn't go in deep into how creepy it was like Jessica Jones does, but it had some pretty interesting things because the main girl – 
you hate her at the beginning of the movie, but you begin to understand where she's coming right. from by the end, which I think was a really well written moment because you see her character is definitely a roller coaster ride where you're like, okay, kind of see why you're doing this. I mean, you're kind of a bitch and controlling, and then you find out she is, but at the same time, you get it. Um, yeah, her name was Duke, I think it was. Uh, that, her, you know char- how bad I'm her character and Laurel, the main protagonist, is the only names I remember, so that's it. But I thought it was supposed to be more funny. Uh-huh. But it wasn't as funny. I would not funny. say it was a funny movie. I will say, though, when, when you put it on, about 10 minutes in, I was like, oh, no. I was like, this I'm is going to be lie. awful. <laughs> that first scene, I was like, what have I done? Yeah, I was like, this is the worst thing you've ever put on the list. But I would say once we got about 30 minutes into the movie, it really started to pick up steam. I just think the beginning was badly done. Because the rest of the movie, I thought, was pretty interesting. And like I said earlier, I'm a hard sell on vampire stuff. So, But yeah. it sold me by the end. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It had I thought like maybe some of the dialogue was a little idealistic and silly in a weird way where I was like, "Ah, eh, that's kind of an interesting concept that we've heard a lot of times, but it doesn't make sense in in this concept." For example, when when I think it was Laurel at the end, she was like, "I dream in a world where we can all be vampires." I think she meant it where we can all be empowered and be women and, and blah, not blah, be blah. scared and not be victims. But and... then in the plot, I was like, that's a cool concept, but you can't all be vampires. Cause then there's no blood. And yeah. then we're at daybreakers, which is a good movie. <laughs> which is all... <laughs> Why wasn't that on our list? I know. I t- we totally should watch it. I totally forgot about that. Uh, yeah. So. so, so I'd say it was a vampire movie that don't be alarmed by the beginning of it. Go through it. It's a very teenish. Yeah. Vampire movie, but I think it's a lot more mature because it deals with a lot of heavy issues than, you know, the other stuff that people jump to as a cliche, things like, um, uh, True Blood or or Twilight. I think this movie actually hit some pretty heavy issues, mm-hmm. and I think it was. I, think I mean, it thought was it well did it well. Yeah, yeah. And I think the main blonde villain chick, the main uh, blonde, yeah, the, she's oh, the villain oh. that you know we learn why she is the way she is. She was she had really strong screen presence. It was yeah. pretty awesome. She was amazing in her role. She yeah. did such a good job. I think she was the runaway star of the movie because i don't think i knew anyone in that movie i don't think so either i think maybe yeah i'm at that age they're all young faces <laughs> to me now they're like all in their 20s as long as they're good actors that's all that matters yeah all right and now this next one who this is this is an interesting one yeah the next movie's terrifier which just had a sequel come out we haven't been able to see it yet we're gonna try terrifier i can see being very splitting in terms of if you love it or if you hate yeah. it yeah it is a movie that everything about it should mean I hate it, but I love this movie. <laughs> I'm hardcore love. Well, it's done cheesily. It looks, it's got a B-movie quality. It kind of feels not as bad as like a trauma film, but it's a little cheesy. You're expecting it to be really bad. First few minutes, you're like, uh-oh, this isn't going to be good, but the movie just keeps giving. And it has some bad moments, but they are overshadowed by a really good villain. So it's the- it's basic. Yeah, I guess that's a really good way. I guess if it's if you're thinking of it this way, it is filmed in a B movie style where you can see the quality of filmmaking is slightly more low budget, which I actually think Absolutely. they did have a very low budget. But the fact that they were able to pull off, I thought the makeup was great um, for the character Art, who was the clown. Yes. Oh, and- yeah, so we should mention it is yeah. a clown scary movie. So if clowns scare you, this might be the perfect scare. This might movie. actually do it for you. And the kill scenes are amazing. I mean, just everything else about it uh-huh. was amazing. I thought it was written well. Yeah. I just think maybe if we had better, if they had more money, it could have been the Even best better. movie ever. Well, yeah. So I'd say one, I'm not scared of clowns, but I find this clown terrifying. 
<laughs> and usually one of the biggest complaints we have about slasher films, and I would say this is a slasher, is that usually the kills come off boring or cliched or you don't care. Or you expected this it. This has some really amazing kills in it. Yeah. Because they're either unpredictable or they're weird or they're just so extreme. And you're like, I can't <laughs> so believe you. It's so dramatic. They're, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I apologize. This is the big spoiler. The best kill is when he cuts a woman in half with a saw. She's naked upside down and he goes from her privates to her head. It is one of the hardest scenes to watch in a movie. And I got to say. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But when you're watching it, you're like, oh, hell no. Thank God this I'm not eating. The worst. Yeah. And then there, and my favorite scene in the movie was when the, what you think is like the final girl, the main girl, the girl you're following the whole movie. And I think she does a great job in the movie. She finally has this upper hand. She's like beating back the clown. She's like, yeah, I got you. And you're like, oh, this is the moment. This is the moment where she defeats him. And the clown just pulls out a gun and shoots her. Yeah. And you're like, it was like that Indiana Jones moment, but it's the villain. But it was the villain. And you're like, wait a minute. You're not supposed to have a gun. And it was brilliant. <laughs> um, I would say. Oh, no. My, uh. Only the only part of the movie I really didn't like was there's this homeless woman. I think I think her role and the performance were really lacking and really hurt. She was probably the worst part of the movie, yeah. but I thought her kill and what happens after her kill was cool. Was worth it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I, but I would also say that I think this is a much scarier clown than uh, I can't remember the name. The it clown. Uh, he's got a name like Peabody or. But in it, Pennywise. Pennywise. There you go. In it, the clown is like an alien that feeds on fear, or whatnot. Very Stephen King. Whereas in this, it's a psychopath who dresses as a clown and kills people, which to me is way scarier. Yeah. Especially because this guy, he gives off scenes that really are very clownish. Like the actor is stellar because I mean, he, and he mimes. He never talks, so he's always doing the clown mime thing. Even when he's been injured and stabbed, he's screaming without making noise. He, he's miming. He keeps the in character beautifully, yeah. and he has like these really weird clown moments. Like there's this moment where uh, one of the girls she escapes narrowly through like a very like the door is slightly ajar, so she's able to escape, but he can't get through. So he's like trying to claw at her and grab her, <laughs> and he's really mad. So then he like gets his little like horn, horn. He's like starts honking at her. <laughs> You're like what the but it's creepy because you realize his connection with reality is so skewed. You That makes him more terrifying because you're like, this is a moment he's doing a he's joke. He's a psycho. Yeah. yeah. And you see it and you're like, really How, why are you making a joke right now? Yeah. But it's, you're laughing and also hoping that he dies. It's so weird. Absolutely. Top horror, new horror villains of the last 10 years. Easily. In, in the top. Question. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right, so there is a sequel. We're going to try to watch it. We'll talk about it later. Now we need to go to the one that we've put on a previous list. We couldn't do it because there was no way to watch it, but you can watch it now if you rent it. Do it. And that is One Cut of the Dead. And I got to tell you, holy cow, this movie is phenomenal. <laughs> you liked it. I think you liked it more than I did. I still loved it, but you're obsessed with it. It's in my top horror comedies of all time. Probably the top oh. three without question. Holy moly. And here's the thing about the movie that I'm telling you, and everyone who saw it and they're going to hear it, you might agree. And if you haven't seen it when you're watching it, the first 20 minutes of the movie, you are like going, what is happening? This is weird. It's bizarre. People are acting weird. You don't understand it. Everything's kind of confusing. You're watching. You're like, okay, I guess this is just, maybe this is like some weird form of humor in like the Japanese <laughs> pop culture that we're not familiar with. We're just going to chuck it up to like different culture experiences. But, but. but what you learn after this scene is that what you just watched was this live broadcast of a horror short. 
and a lot of things went wrong. And then the rest of the movie is explaining how they were making the short so you can see everything that went wrong. And it makes everything you saw not only make sense, but 10 times yeah, funnier. It was so amazing. It's a brilliantly written movie. I can imagine how hard the logistics would have been to film this because it's like a movie within a movie within a movie. It's like Inception, but I liked it. Yeah. And so <laughs> uh, this this was absolutely brilliant. It's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. I, I, would, I would like to say one thing now. The trailer, or maybe it's just me the way I interpret it, I was... I was bamboozled. So the description says it's a, it's like a, a film crew filming a zombie movie when they're attacked by real zombies. I thought it was going to be a real, real zombie movie. So I thought at some point they discover there really are zombies and they're going to be like, oh no, what are we yeah. going to do? But no, it's like the movie in the movie is pretending that real zombies are getting them. But then they have to like film it and they have so, to make it believable. It's it's so hard to describe. Yeah. So in... In reality, there are no zombies. Right. This is a movie about making a horror film. But there's just absolutely brilliant scenes. There's this one moment at the beginning where this woman who's had an axe in her head and she's dead, all of a sudden <laughs> pops up and goes, what's happening? And then she falls down again. And you're like, and you, when you see that, you're like, what is happening in this movie? And they explain it later oh, that she was so- unconscious. She's an actress. And then she gained consciousness. And when she stood up, then someone tackled her from below to bring her back down. Like, you're not supposed to be in this shot. This isn't your scene, lady. But first of all, if you're just like a big movie person, you'll appreciate this movie so much more. If you're really into film and and just good movies or or, or whatever, it's written beautifully. It's so comedically brilliant and it's different. It's nothing I've ever seen before. And I don't know. I just thought it was amazing. As far as we can tell, you can only see this on Shudder if you have a subscription or pay to rent it through Amazon. I can't tell you enough that this is worth renting. Uh, This movie is phenomenal. If I can find it on Blu-ray so that we don't have to worry about renting in the future, I'm going to get this film. Yeah, it is subtitled. I know some people have issues with that, but that's just the way it is. But it's really well done. and, And the movie is designed so that the beginning is bizarre. So be friendly with it because it gets explained perfectly. And it is impressive. That first part of the scene, that whole entire segment in the beginning of the movie is one shot. Oh yeah, it is. So I didn't know what they meant by one cut of the dead. And what they mean is it's one cut of film. So it's a, it's a nonstop shooting. And that really was impressive. Again, another impressive, just element to the whole movie. Pretty good. All right. And so the last film that we watched uh, will be the descent, a classic. It's, Mm -hmm. What, 15 years old now? Um, I think it came out in the aughts. Did it? Not the teens. I think it came out in like 06. I didn't actually write that down. I don't remember. And any, I mean, if you haven't seen this one by then, this is considered by many people to be one of the best horror movies ever made, let alone of the last, of the 21st century. Yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. It's, it's an pretty much all female cast. There's very few men in the movie. I think there's only like one guy at the beginning and he dies. I think that's it. Yeah, that's the only one. But it's pretty much women and I'm assuming the monsters are also men. They look like men. Well, there was that one female monster. But this, uh, it's about a bunch of spelunkers that decide to go exploring into a cave and only when they get into the cave and there's a collapse and they're stuck do they realize that the person leading the expedition Brought them to a different cave than they said, so rescue crews won't be able to. So find when they them. were notified, so any any spelunker, anybody who actually goes into a cave, especially one that isn't necessarily easy, it's for advanced. You usually report it to someone and say, "We're going to be doing this." Yeah, here. in case something happens, you haven't shown up, they can send rescue crews. Exactly. So they and, found and out- you check in too. I think that's 
something that the ritual touched on too, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, whatever. So they weren't able to report in or anything like that. And no one was going to know where they were. And the cave that the, their leader Juno, I think was her name brought them to was supposed to be an undocumented cave, making it even harder. Yeah. And this whole event, the whole thing started because at the beginning of the movie, the main character, she was, you know, with this group of people, her husband and daughter died in a car accident. So this was like the first time they're getting her out back to doing these outdoorsy mm-hmm. things and everything. It was supposed to be kind of like a whole helping her through this sort of thing. And throughout the course of the movie, you learn that the Juno, the leader chick, was having an affair with the guy and there's a lot of interpersonal drama. But while they're stuck in this undocumented cave, it turns out it's filled with like weird proto-human goblin demon people <laughs> that like to eat animals Humans being human, one of those Human animals. being one of the animals that they're okay with. So they have to escape. It is bloody. It is violent. It is so well filmed. And as someone who has claustrophobia, there are scenes in this movie I have a hard time watching. I will say that just a description of the fact that they went to a cave that they didn't know anything about, being led by someone who has lied to them, the drama between the group, all of that alone could have been a movie. Like, it didn't even have to have the horror element. Oh, absolutely. And so it's just, like, a really well-made movie to begin with. Yeah, the horror There's elements a, are not out of place. and they're But they're not out of place, right? You're like, why is this a horror film all of a sudden? No, 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 no. This all makes sense in the end. But honestly, it's just, from the beginning, you're already horrified by the situation. And then adding them, the, the creatures, was just so intense. It just brought absolutely. more intensity to it. And you're like, holy cow, this movie's amazing. Yeah. It has some of the most impressive, tense scenes which I know the soundtrack really helps out with as well. There's a scene where the main character is in this pool of blood. Oh, yeah. And she has to, like, hide while other creatures are around. They're blind, by the way. They can't see because they're in caves, so they can hear and smell. You'd think they'd be able to smell modern human deodorants, but (laughs) they don't do that in the movie. But it's absolutely great. One thing that's important to note is this movie had two endings, the U.S. ending and then the rest of the world ending. Right. And they are different. So the U.S. ending, once again, spoilers, the U.S. ending, the girl, the main girl barely escapes, gets to her car, drives frantically away. But then she sees like the ghost of Juno kind of like proving that she's going to be tormented by the fact that she left her friend behind. Right. However, in the European or worldwide release, From that moment she sees the ghost, she wakes up and you find out she's still stuck in the cave and she never escaped. Right. Which is a much more morose ending. The thing is, um, we watched the sequel. I think we watched it right after. We we did back to back with the sequel. Unfortunately. But anyway, if if you watch the American ending, the start of the sequel doesn't make any sense. But if you watched the alternative ending, or I shouldn't say the alternative, I think we're the alternative ending, Um, the rest of the world ending... It makes sense. Kind of. It's it, the, the movie starts kind of somewhere in between. She's out of the cave, but she didn't get to her car. Well, yeah, because it doesn't make sense that yeah. she would get out of her car and then reach some, a stranger from yeah. the woods. But I would just say the most important thing is the sequel, The Descent 2, is one of the worst films I've ever seen. <laughs> it's not just a bad sequel. It's just a bad film. Do not watch it. It looks like it was filmed in a made-for-TV way. It's no it longer might people, have been. People Did aren't even... actually crawling through caves anymore. They're walking everywhere because it's like on a set. It's brightly lit. There's lights in other places. They got rid of the all-female cast with important plot elements. Now there's just a bunch of guys in there, and there's such a Baywatch caliber plot where there's a cop who's following the main girl with a gun thinking who's like he killed suspicious. everyone. Who's He's like, she killed everyone. Just, um, I don't even want to spend more time talking about it. It's awful. It should not have been made. I feel bad for anyone who paid. I think to it was see just a movie. cash cow. I mean, whoever wrote and directed, they were just paid to do it, and they're like, "Fine, whatever." It's awful. Yeah. So 
let's now that we've talked about all the movies, I want to ask some questions. What was your favorite experience this week? Doesn't matter if we've seen it or not. Okay. So what was your favorite movie experience? <sighs> you know what? I think I really enjoyed watching the final girls again this time around. Because with new people. With yeah. new pe- I think that's what it was. It was like a whole group thing and then be uh, talking about it with them after and just, you know, whatever they liked about it. That was really fun. Um, and then I say very, very close was one cut of the dead because it was such a good movie. So I'm, I'm kind of on the same lines, except I would say one cut of the dead totally won just because even though it was just you and me watching it, I was so surprised by how refreshing and wonderful this movie was at the end of it. I was like, I want everyone I know to see this movie. Yeah. (laughs) So that, that also would answer my next question, which is what was your favorite new movie? So not including old movies, like new movies, which would for us be day shift, Bit. The new Hellraiser oh, right. bit and One Cut of the Dead. Which was your favorite? I ones? mean, One Cut of the Dead. Yeah. So highly down. Pretty. Now, what was your least favorite movie of the week? Uh, the new Hellraiser. The new Hellraiser? Yeah. I would say my least favorite movie. That's hard because you know what? I, to an extent, enjoyed all of them. I would say, yeah, I'd say my least favorite was both the Hellraisers tied. But that wasn't new to us. You said new movie. I just meant in general movie oh, experience. Okay. I would say both of the Hellraisers. Bit was my, it was pretty low, even though I still really liked it, because I think the other ones were just so good. Not because there's anything wrong with Bit. Oh, just because sure. the other movies are so good. Now, we also watched extra. We did extracurricular activities during this. <laughs> so we watched Arachnophobia, which I think is from like 1990 or early 90s. It's a comedy with where spiders, evil, poisonous spiders get everywhere. Yeah. We watched My Best Friend's Exorcism. <laughs> Oh, yeah. We watched The Cube. Woof. We watched Valentine, and we watched The Skeleton Key. So we're not going to talk about all those movies, plots, or anything, because we didn't warn you that we were going to watch them. But I do want to ask, what was your favorite of those extracurriculars, (laughs) and what was your least favorite? My least favorite, I'm just going to start with that one, hands down, The Cube. Oh, absolutely. We we didn't even watch it correctly. We fast-forwarded through half the movie. I kept fast-forwarding. It was, like, the worst movie I've seen in a long time. And I don't mean, like... And and I and I don't need to, I don't even know what I mean when I say that. I just I hated it. So, it actually angered me. So I saw it when it first came out in like the late nineties. It was rented from Hastings. And I remember seeing the whole thing with my brother and sister. My brother and sister hated it, but I remember thinking, Oh, it's kinda interesting. But then when we watched it this time, it was just awful. Could not stand it. I do not recommend it. It's on Chase's don't watch list. Yeah. But what was your favorite of the extracurriculars? The extracurricular, um, I would say Valentine. I don't know why. I just, I feel like I always enjoy that one. I absolutely love Valentine. We usually say, oh, let's wait till Valentine's Day, but then we forget about we it. We always forget, so we end up not watching it for years. Classic, classic, early 2000s slash slasher. Might even be year 2000. It's got, it's got such bad actors as Denise Richards and the lead from Angel, but it doesn't matter because they all play their roles perfectly. But as then there's like unlikable. really good actors. There's that one girl. I I, I feel so bad because I don't remember their names, but she was in she was in Sugar and Spice. She was the main cheerleader, uh-huh, and, and she, was, she in, was in um the Grindhouse, which was Planet Terror. Right, right, right. Yeah, she's one. great. She's awesome. And and Catherine Heigl ain't bad either. Oh, she's right. Good too. Uh, she's in, but she's only in the beginning, but anyway. But we recommend that to all slasher people. Those are extracurriculars. But anyway, so that was our first week of movie horror. I hope you guys were able to join us, and or if not, you knew these movies, so this discussion was interesting. <laughs> do we have next week's movies? Um, I Oh, wait, yeah, I do. I have them right here. So we're just going to give you an update on what we're going to cover next episode on our 31 Days of Horror Films. Okay, so we actually watched The Witch um, already, but 
That's we're gonna the Sunday movie. Week, yeah, yeah, we're going to discuss it. Life After Beth, which is a comedy. The Void, Black Death, The Watcher, Halloween, and Happy Death Day. Those oh, are like the next favorites. seven ones. Yeah, Perfect. I think. Perfect. And if we get another episode on Monday, we might include one more in there. So just follow our calendar. But I think that brings our episode to a close. Thank you guys for joining us. And I hope some of you were pleasantly creeped out by the stories this week. If you have any comments, questions, personal scary stories you want to share, drop us a line at hotwpodcast at gmail.com. For those of you listening to us at work or while driving, we hope you have a great day. And for those of you that are drinking, we hope your tomorrow isn't too rough. And if you're listening to us because you've had too much fun last night and you are suffering today, don't worry because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye. See ya.